1 Samuel chapter 29. And I appreciate you being in the Lord's house tonight. We're back with Brother David tonight. And uh, you say, why do you keep calling him that? Because he is your brother. You're going to see him someday. You'll see these people that you've learned about in the Bible. And they're going to be doing the same thing you're going to be doing. They're going to be singing about how worthy the Lord is because all of us have one thing in common and it's God's goodness and mercy that has been our saving grace. Um, tonight, I'll just kind of tell you that what I'm going to do. There's going to be predominant part of what the message is going to be is just a careful reading with just a few, but very few comments in chapters 29 and 30. This is actually the 12th message in the series on David's wilderness years. And we've looked at what God's done. And David, from the point of him being an older teenager and uh, him coming to serve with King Saul and being put over all the military. And the military men followed him, which is remarkable. But then, remember, Saul eyed David, his idea of enviousness there coming in. And uh, he was very upset over that, over David's success. And then uh, the wilderness started there before David had to flee for his life because, of course, Saul tried to kill him more than one time. He tried to, he tried to stick him with a javelin. Remember that? Of course, Saul did that to his own son, Jonathan. We've learned a lot of things as we've went through here. But uh, last time we met and had uh, David, we were on Wednesday, the unusual message, and quite a few listens to it, um, dealt with Saul's final descent into darkness. And we saw that uh, some things were running parallel with David and with Saul at this time. Um, David reached a point of uh, almost despair which took him to the place we're going to be reading about tonight, to a city called Ziklag. That name means winding. And uh, at that same time, while this, this was going on, and David goes to this city, ends up in this city called Ziklag, where David goes and, and goes to the Philistines, to the king, of, king Achish, who's the king of Gath, which is the town where Goliath was from. While David's doing that, King Saul, because of being afraid, the Philistines are gathering to battle. And uh, the Spirit of the Lord is not on Saul anymore. And in, that, in that, con- that wretched condition, remember Saul went and found a woman with a familiar spirit. And we did a study on the fact that sorcery, familiar spirits, necromancy, which is conversation with the dead, wizards, and all these things are an abomination to God. God hates them. Whole, whole societies are destroyed because of that. And, um, and we dealt with some of that. And then that strange, strange event recorded in the Bible where Saul goes to that uh, woman with familiar spirit. She's an Engedi. And uh, she, he asked, him, asked her to call up Samuel. And she, she goes to call up Samuel. Well, all of a sudden, Samuel's coming up. It scares her to death. And then Saul, of course, all the things that happened with that. Well, at the same time that's going on, and Saul is so terrified that he goes to this, uh, uh, this uh, witchcraft woman to try to find out what to do. Uh, while that's happening, David's with the king of 
of Gath, and the king of Gath and the Philistines, the other Philistine leaders, are getting together a big force for military thrust against Israel. So what's building up here is David, because he's with the king, uh, king of Gath, there, Achish, he's going to be conscripted into this battle. He and all those who follow him are getting ready to be pulled into battle to go against Israel. And, and he's, got a, he's got a mess on his hands, doesn't he? Um, tonight's title is uh, what, what He Learned When He Was Alone. Now what's interesting about this, David, this all happens here and what we're going to learn about tonight, the next step after this are the final events that lead to David actually being on the throne. After so many years of being in the wilderness, he's, get, he's right at the point where he's going to be installed as king in Hebron over Judah. He'll be there seven years, and then he'll rule for 33 more years from Jerusalem after they capture Jerusalem. Right then, at this point, it's in the, it's in the possession of the Jebusites. But he will, he will rule in, in Jerusalem for 33 years, and uh, he'll be king over all of Israel, but that's in the future. And so these events are happening right before David, after all these years running for his life, after all that he's been through, is finally going to be anointed king over Hebron. Remember, David's anointed three times. Remember about that? The first time is at his father's house by the prophet Samuel, the anointing of God on his life, where God says you're going to be king, and then that's cared for. And then the second time will be in Hebron, which we'll be coming to in just a couple, couple of services or so. And then, uh, and then the third time was when he was at Jerusalem. And so anyway, David's wilderness years here tonight, he's, he's some things he had to learn while he was alone. By the way, Saul came to the point in his kingdom where he was getting ready to be established forever. And when he did that, he got impatient waiting for Samuel to come to offer an offering. And Saul crossed the line, entered into the priesthood duty and offered a sacrifice, which he was not allowed to do. And then when Samuel confronted him on it, he, he made excuses. He said, well, you weren't here and the people were scared and they were going away from me. And there were so many Philistines. And then he used this term. He said, I forced myself to do it. And that began the pattern of what Saul would do with his life. Making excuse for transgression of God's law. And uh, that was the first time Samuel said to him, your kingdom cannot continue. So these two men, Saul came to that point right before his, his kingdom was going to be established forever. In fact, Samuel said that. Now would your, your kingdom be established forever. But he got right up to that point, and right before that point of victory, right before that point of him being established in his kingdom forever, there was a great trial. There was a great pressure in his life. And at that point, he quit following the Lord. He, he, he did his own thing. He took it into his own hands and quit obeying what the Lord said to do. And because of that, he did not get what he would have gotten there. David, however, comes down to this point of trial. And with his heart towards God and a heart that's after God, he continues after the Lord with that. Um, through discouragement and almost despair, David had come to Ziklag. Remember, he was there for 16 months total, the Bible says. Uh, the despair of David was, we read about it last week, 1 Samuel 27.1, I just read it for you now. It says, And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. And then what I said was a, a, a key 
phrase for understanding. Here's what people say when they get hopeless and when they get over overwhelmed. He said, there's nothing better for me. That's a bad phrase to be saying. Well, there's no other choice. Nothing else, nothing's going to work. That's, that's, that, is not, that is not faith thinking. That is not obedience direction. That's giving up. And he said, there's nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines and Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more in any coast of Israel, so shall I escape out of his hand. And so that discouragement, that despair is what brought David to Ziklag. What we will see tonight is what takes David out of Ziklag and what takes him out of that place is when he uh, learns something that he learns alone and it's this. We'll read it in a moment. He learns to encourage himself in the Lord. And in a place of discouragement, he goes to Ziklag. In a place of discouragement, he goes down to the Philistines. In a place of discouragement, he says, there's nothing better going to happen for me. Uh, it's just not going to happen. Saul's going to kill me one day. He was losing his focus on the promises of God. But then he learned to encourage himself in the Lord. And when he did that, then he came up out of Ziklag. Uh, probably the greatest trial up to that time of his life. Others will come afterwards. And that happened just before he's finally brought to the throne. So let's look in chapter 29. Let me read through these carefully and then I'm going to give you a thought on this that will be helpful to you. You understand the scenario of what's going on now if you've followed what I've told you tonight. First Samuel 29, it says, Now the Philistines gathered together all their armies to Aphek. You understand that's just a place. And the Israelites pitched by a fountain which is in Jezreel. And that term pitched is they've come together with a military encampment. So they're there. Um, use the term where they've gone out and uh, they're setting up camp, uh, expecting battle soon. And the lords of the Philistines, it was run as a confederacy, and the lords of the Philistines passed on by hundreds and by thousands, but David and his men passed on in the rear reward with Achish. Now, imagine this. They're getting ready to go to battle and it's, a, uh, it's kind of a military parade. They're, they're, it's a review of troops, if you will, before they're going to combat. And so this is going on. So everybody's coming through. They're looking at their troops. They're getting ready to go into major battle. Then said the princes of the Philistines, are reviewing these troops, verse 3, what do these Hebrews hear? <laughs> I love that phrase. It's like they're watching everybody go by and all of a sudden the Philistines and Hebrews look quite a bit different. And they're like, why are the Hebrews in this? They're getting ready to go fight the Israelites. They've suffered great loss at the hands of Saul. Saul's had some military victory. And Jonathan, oh my goodness, Jonathan's quite a warrior. And uh, they're like, what do these Hebrews hear? Wait, hold on just a minute. What's, what's, what, what's going on with this? And Achish said unto the princes of the Philistines, Is not this David, <laughs> the servant of Saul, the king of Israel, which hath been with me these days or these years? And by the way, secretly going out and fighting the Philistines the whole time he was there. And I have found no fault in him since he fell unto me unto this day. So Achish is kind of proud of this. You know, he's kind of got David as a trophy here. And the princes of the Philistines were wroth with him. They are totally upset with Achish. Achish says, they go, why are these Hebrews here? And Achish says, this is David. And all these Philistine lords are going, 
<laughs> exactly. The worst of the Hebrews to have among us. What are you doing? You brought in the special forces of the special forces of the enemy with us. And so they're wroth with him. And the princes of the Philistines said unto him, Make this fellow return, that he may go again to his place, which thou hast appointed him. And let him not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he be an adversary to us. For wherewith should he reconcile himself unto his master? Should it not be with the heads of these men? So these guys go, how do you think he's going to get back in good graces? What do you think is going to happen when he's fighting from the back of this group? And so they're upset. <laughs> is not this David of whom they sang one to another in dances saying Saul slew his thousands and David his ten thousands? Apparently that was the top ten song. They knew it. <laughs> Verse 6. Then Achish called David and said unto him, Surely as the Lord liveth. Isn't that funny? Thou hast been upright in thy going out and thy coming in with me in the host. Uh, in with me in the host is good in my sight, for I have not found evil in thee since the day of thy coming unto me unto this day. Nevertheless, the Lord's favor thee not. Those were the men who made that decision. Wherefore now return and go in peace, that thou displease not the lords of the Philistines. And David said unto Achish, now he, he was put on good act with this one because I tell you what, he just got saved from a big problem. Big problem where he was going to be going into battle on the Philistine side going towards Israel. They talk about a mess. And David said unto Achish, but what have I done? What hast thou found in thy servant so long as I have been with thee and to this day that I may not go fight against the enemies of my lord the king? And Achish answered and said unto David, I know that thou art good in my sight as an angel of God. Notwithstanding, the princes of the Philistines have said, He shall not go up with us to the battle. Wherefore now rise up early in the morning with thy master's servants that are come with thee. And as soon as you be up early in the morning and have light, depart. So David and his men rose up early to depart in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines and the Philistines went up to Jezreel. What a mess. Now that battle, and I'm foreshadowing a little bit here of what we're going to be getting into, not tonight, but that battle is going to be the final battle for Saul and for Jonathan. And a lot's going to change here. But let's see what happens with David and let's find out how, what he did when he was alone. Because listen to me, you're going to be alone. Uh, you, may, you may be blessed and have a good relationship and an affectionate spouse understanding, but at some point you're going to be alone. I'm not talking about they'll necessarily be gone, but there are trials of the soul that you have to go through alone. And I, uh, I'm going to help you tonight because the Bible helps us know how to do that. Look in verse 1 of chapter 30. It came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag. Can you imagine the emotion of all they've been through? On the third day that the Amalekites, the leftover enemy from Saul's incomplete obedience, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire. 
and had taken the women captive that were therein, they slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. These were people, these men, 600 men and their families, who had fled to David because of their situations of distress and indebtedness, discontent and such. And uh, David had told them that uh, he would care for him. He had cared for him. Now you can imagine these men of war coming back. They've just been spared the situation of having to go against their own people. But can you imagine as they get closer, I wonder if they saw smoke first up over the horizon. I wonder if they could smell that a whole city burning according to which way the wind was going. You do that. What in the world? What are we doing? And as they're going back to this place, which had been a temporary place of refuge for them, if you will, for 14 months or 16 months rather, they, uh, they come up and here it's burnt. Everything they own is gone. I mean, gone. They've cast their lot with David and everything is gone. Their wives are gone. Their children are gone. The whole thing. And, this, and here David is. David's wives are gone. David's goods are gone. Here he is. He's in charge of this whole thing. He's trying to follow the Lord. He's trying to figure out. He's got to be coming away from this deal that just happened with Achish with Lords of Philistine saying, Lord, thank you for, for that. My goodness, that, I'm sure glad I didn't have to figure out what to do next with that. And then he comes back and the whole city's burnt and he's in charge and he obviously cared about this people. David became a captain over him. If you watch, he cared about the people. In fact, one main reason that God emphasizes that he chose David because David had a shepherd's heart. I love the passage where God said they took David from following the ewes, great with, great with young, in order to lead his people. Because David, as a shepherd, watched for those that had a particular care and had a particular weakness and could be, be injured. And God said, that's the kind of man I want leading my people. I don't want a tyrannical Saul who will, who will try to subjugate the people to his own pride and will damage the people for his own pride and will do things for his own glory and kingdom. I'm not looking for somebody to build the kingdom for me. I'm looking for somebody to serve my people and I'll take care of the building with that. That's what he liked and wanted in David. And now David comes and here's a situation like this. And look what happens. These men are over-grieved. And these are, these are tough fighting men. These are tough people. But they come in and uh, they see the situation going on with that. And they're taking captives with it. And, and it was, uh, they were all gone. And uh, verse 3 again. So David and his men came to the city. And behold, it was burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept. These strong fighting men are just weeping, crying, overcome, until they had no more power to weep. They're just absolutely exhausted. And David's two wives were taken captives, Hinnom, the Jezreelites, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed. Look what happens. For the people spake of stoning him. Because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. His very men and these who had come out to him said, well, I can't believe this is the final thing. Let's kill David. David, you're supposed to be leader. David, you're supposed to be in charge of this. And that incredible loyalty they had before and after this turned into anger against him. And 
you know, David felt what the Lord felt. Remember the Lord on the night which he was betrayed. Remember all that followed him left. It wasn't just Peter. But they all fled from him. And so David faced this. And look what he said it did with that. He, he encouraged himself in the Lord. And I'll mention that in a moment. But let's go on with the reading. Verse 7. And David said to Abathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abathar brought hither the ephod to David. And David inquired at the Lord. Isn't that amazing? I mean, these people weren't just vainly saying, we may stone you to death. These were people who would kill you. And he inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I pursue after this troop? Isn't it amazing how he sought God's guidance right there and didn't just run blindly? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, pursue. For thou shalt surely overtake them and without fail recover all. So David went, he and the 600 men that were with him, and came to the brook Besar, where those that were left behind stayed. But David pursued he and 400 men. For 200 abode behind, which were so faint, they could not go over the brook Besar. So of these very tough people, 200 of them were in such a weakened condition, even though they knew their families had been taken, even though they knew what was at risk, they just could not continue with that. And they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David. He gave him bread and he did eat and they made him drink water. So this fellow was in a very bad condition and they resuscitated him as you will, almost revived him certainly. And they gave him a piece of a cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. When he had eaten, his spirit came again to him, for he had eaten no bread nor drunk any water three days and three nights. It's kind of amazing he was still alive. Talk about a low blood sugar crash. No wonder they gave him the raisins and everything. Seriously, man. That was a good move. And David said unto him, To whom belongest thou, and whence art thou? And he said, I am a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite. My master left me because three days agone I fell sick. And here an Egyptian held slavery by the Amalekites. And then every group had done, held each other and, and all this kind of human traffic had gone on for a long time. Then verse 14, he said, We made an invasion upon the south of the Cherethites, upon the coast which belongeth to Judah and upon the south of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. David said to him, Canst thou bring me down to this company? He said, Can you show me where they are? And he said, Swear unto me by God that thou would neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master. He said, those, Neither one I want those. And I will bring thee down to this company. When he had brought him down, behold, they were spread abroad upon all the earth, eating and drinking, dancing, because of the great, all the great spoil they had taken out of the land of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah. So they were having them a party because they they'd just had this big marauding uh, incursion through these areas. And David smote them. And you understand that's him and his men. From the twilight even unto the evening of the next day. That's a long, protracted battle. And by the way it's written, it sounds like he was winning during that whole time. 
And there escaped not a man of them, save four hundred young men, which rode upon camels and fled. David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives. And there was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil nor anything that they had taken to them. David recovered all. David took all the flocks and the herds which were drave before those other cattle and said this is David's spoil. There was stuff there that didn't come from their city. So this became David. It belonged to David. David came to the 200 men which were so faint that they could not follow David. Now they weren't part of that big long battle. And they had made also to abide at the brook Besor. Isn't that interesting the way it's phrased? They made them stop. Because they were, they were where they'd been detrimental to the battle and detrimental to their speed. And they went forth to meet David and meet the people that were with him. And when David came near to the people, he saluted them. Then answered all the wicked men, there's always wicked men in a group, and men of Belial, of those that were, went with David, and said, because they went not with us, we will not give them aught of the spoil that we have recovered. Save to every man his wife and his children that they may lead them away and depart. And so they said, we're going to keep everything. Even if it was theirs, they get the wife and children. They didn't go fight. And we're going to tell them, get on out of here. So that's what they had in mind to do. By the way, the Bible identified them, didn't it? Wicked men, men of Belial. Then David said, verse 23, you shall not do so, my brethren, with that which the Lord hath given us. And that's something David had been there fighting all, all evening and night and that next day. He knew he had, his hand had been, was weary with the sword, but he said, God's the one who did that. He realized God led us to these people. He realized God led us go into battle. And even in the battle, we didn't have any of our families killed during the battle. And we got everything back. And he says, they're not going to do that. He says, For the Lord hath given us, who hath preserved us, and delivered the company that came against us into our hand. For who will hearken unto you in this matter? But as his part is that goeth down to the battle, so shall his part be that tarrieth by the stuff. They shall part alike. And it was so from that day forward that he made it a statute and an ordinance for Israel unto this day. And when David came to Ziklag, he sent... Well, watch what he does. Look how the wisdom's on him. Remember how he behaved himself wisely, behaved himself more wisely and all that early on in those wilderness years? Look at the wisdom of this. Look what he does in verse 26. And when David came to Ziklag, he sent of the spoil unto the elders of Judah, even to his friends, saying, Behold, a present for you of the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. David's keeping those connections alive back where he's going to go rule. Can we, can we look at this? Can we be wise as serpents and harmless as doves? Being a Christian doesn't mean you need to be a doofus. You need to learn how to operate. Now, I'm not talking about shenanigans and I'm not talking about something that's not integrity. We need to have some wisdom. You know, if I was hiring contractors to have a house built, I'd be getting donuts in the morning. Why would you do that? Because I like fat contractors. No. It'd be, 
Because when they got a decision, they're out there, and the men who are workers showing up every day, and they got a decision whether to take that extra step to make things sharp or kind of cut the corner on something where it's not supposed to be a cut corner, that donut might make the difference. Say, are you bribing them? Uh uh-uh. uh. I'm David to them. <laughs> Just telling you. Christian people, it's funny. We're funny creatures. It's not very spiritual. Crazy. Uh, anyway, um, he's sending it out there. Learn a little bit by that. I'm promising you good. Hey, it's okay when the church needs something done and we run into different businesses and things we have to do with the church. It's okay that your pastor has spent years making relationships with people in the sound, isn't it? Yeah. Might learn to do this. It might be profitable and useful. It might be something the Lord teaches us to do. Verse 27, to them which were in Bethel, to them which were in South, in South Ramoth, and to them which were in Jatur, to them which were in Eror, and to them which were in Sipmoth, and to them which were in Eshtimoi, and to them which were in Rachel, and to them which were in the cities of Jerah Mulatite, and to them which were in the cities of the Kenites, or the Kenites, or to them which were in Horna, Horma, and to them which were in Choreshan, to them which were in Athak, and to them which were in Hebron, which is where he'll be ruling from soon. And I love this little phrase. And to all the places where David himself and his men were wont to haunt. <laughs> I like that little phrase. I use that. Sometimes I'll take somebody to a restaurant and say, this is a place I want to haunt. Um, what do you mean? This means that he, he shared it was wise for him as a king to do this. Why? Because he's going to need to rule these people. Say, well, he was anointed. Just come in. Well, I'm king. You follow me. Oh, 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 oh that's a Rehoboam thing. Oh, I see. That translates down into problems at every level. Well, I'm just a parent. You listen to me. I'm just... Mm-hmm. Maybe that's not the best way in the world to lead like the Lord teaches us to. We could learn some things, I reckon. We pay attention to what the Bible teaches. What he learned when he was alone, I pointed it out. You picked up on it. He encouraged himself in the Lord, didn't he? Let me give these ways he encouraged himself in the Lord. He encouraged himself in the Lord by remembrance. He remembered. So how do you know that? Because he sought the Lord and guidance and what to do, and that's what David had done through his life. He remembered who he needed to talk to, and he didn't just run out after these people, but he sought the Lord in this. He remembered to consult the priest, the, the, the man of God that he had there. He remembered to consult. Uh, he, he did the ephod, so it was a form of what was involved in the worship and, the, and those things towards the Lord. He remembered I love it in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul by the Spirit of God said that he wanted to stir up Timothy's pure mind by way of remembrance. What was he stirring it up for? To serve the Lord. To be strong in Christ. To have confidence in the Lord and be able to go on. How do you do? You remember. It does us well to remember. I'll tell you some good conversation that happens around this church. It's a good conversation when some... If you've been here many years and others you a number of years, but many of you have been here a while. When you say, do you remember when this? 
It's a good thing. You remember when that happened? Do you remember when we built that? Do you remember when we just had that? Do you remember when we did that? And uh, why? Remembering what God's done. There's been times in our life, I remember that little house we rented outside of Gratis. Farmhouse, we were in it, what, nine weeks? But the Lord gave it to us. And you know, we enjoyed those weeks there with that. But uh, one thing that's done for me ever since then, and that's going back 30 years now, um, one thing it did, he said, why didn't you live there very long? Because this crazy church here called me, and I ended up leaving over there. But beautiful farmhouse, wonderful location. It was coming up for rent. didn't seem like any way to get it. Very, we got it very expensive. And we'd go after service, and there's a little drive went around. We'd drive around. We'd stop, and we'd pray about it. And we'd go, and God gave us that. And I'll tell you, we weren't in there very long. In fact, when we were moving our stuff in, uh, we said to each other, we said, boy, this is nice. And said, yep. And I looked at her and I said, we're not going to be here very long. She says, I know it. The Lord already told me. But we had it. But I'll tell you what that did. I'll tell you what it really did. It taught us something. We looked back at that and said, God did that. I walk around here. I've told you before, there are times I come in here when this place is empty and something's coming up and I'm wondering about this or that. And a couple of times within the last couple of three years, things very, very tight, very, very close on some things. And, and I've sat here right on this altar. I'll do that sometimes with it and uh, different things. And I'll sit there and Brother Brian and remember when this was going on, when that was going on. And I said, well, the Lord didn't do all this just to drop us off. As long as we're not disobeying him, doing something out of the way, then he didn't, he didn't start to work to, for the work not to go forward. God didn't plant us here for us not to be a light and not to be, not to be a, a witness for Christ. Hey, remember some things. You say, well, but there's been problems along the way. You're in a broken world and you're a sinful person saved by the grace of God. What in the world did you expect? Of course there's some problems along the way. And in those problems, you have the opportunity to learn to follow your God when you're alone. When you're alone. I love the encouragement of friends when they encourage, and that's a blessing. I love the love of family and encouragement when that's there. I love that. I'm glad for it. I need it. I'm glad for it. But listen to me. You can encourage yourself in the Lord. Find Him. David had no one to go to but Him, but He was enough. And then he, he remembered Him by worshiping. He honored and worshiped the Lord. He remembered Him. He, he honored Him in everything He did. And we ought to worship the Lord. He said, well, worship Him won't fix the problem. My problem's a money problem, not a worship problem. <laughs> My problem's a relationship problem, not a worship problem. Does your problem involve you? Are you in any way involved in it? Well, then probably getting you healthy with your God and getting you strengthened and worshiping God will help you in every area. And you know something even more important than that? God is worthy of being worshipped. I wonder how much worship God gets this week. I wonder how much He'll get from us here at Lighthouse. Not as we're gathered together, just throughout this week. That's an interesting thought. I want to give Him, I want to do my part in that this week. The Lord help me with it. Then he rem by worship, you, you learn that. Why? That's where you just keep thanking God for who He is. Brother Job, of course, is the greatest example of human example. Though He slay me, yet will I trust in Him. Worship of God. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. And, and keep worshiping Him. 
Uh, sometimes you're worshiping with tears in your eyes. Sometimes it's tears of joy. Sometimes it's tears of devotion. Sometimes it's tears because you're hurting. But you can worship God. You may worship God by singing. You may worship God by thinking why he does. You may be talking to Him, loving Him. And by the way, don't get overly technical. Oh my goodness, I've seen this ever since I was a young Christian. People say, well, is this praise or is this worship or is this... Oh, get over it and love the Lord. Tell me how good He is. Talk about Jesus. Talk about how good He is. Uh, enjoy things. Express to Him in the way that you express things. As you're out and about, look around. My wife and I were looking at the beautiful sky as we came in tonight and how pretty it was and you ought to thank the Lord for it. And then he, uh, he learned to encourage himself by trusting. He's trusting God. He said, okay. He got back to this, didn't he? Here's what he did. He had went down to Ziklag because he said, now there's nothing better for me. He said, this is, he despaired. He said, there's nothing better. I'm just, okay. He was worn out, wasn't he? I'm not putting him down. I'm not telling you I could have anyway performed as well as he did and had the stamina he had. I'm just telling you, he was at that point, wasn't he? He's like, oh my goodness. You, you know, if a fellow like David could get there, we might get there. Yeah. And uh, he, said, uh, he said, there's nothing better for me. I'll go down here. And then, but yet, when, when did he come up out of Ziklag? When did he end up going up to the throne? That's when he learned to encourage himself. He got back to trust the Lord. He said, no, we're going to do this God's way. We're going to follow God. They come back and these wicked men in his own group and men of Elio, he said, why did he have some of them? They're probably good fighters. He needed them. And uh, they, he said, there, there we are. And, and, and they said, ah, we're just going to keep everything. And these people, they can leave us. Those other 200 had been with them through that whole ordeal of all those years in the wilderness. And now because they got too weak in one battle, these others were going to kick them off the scene. David said, we're not doing things that way. Nope. He said, God gave us this battle. Can you imagine now, this is a great thing. Nate, there wouldn't have been any of those men turning around and said, no, we won this ourselves. I don't believe for a second there was anybody there that fought harder than David did. Or was more skilled. So they're going to look him in the face and say, Who oh, did this? David said, God did this. You understand that? That Egyptian there, all wiped out in the, in the desert and all that, 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 that wasn't accidental. You understand us coming down on them, catching them off guard, that wasn't accidental. You understand a battle like that and nobody, and no collateral damage of any of our families during that kind of battle? Not even just the malicious Amalekites saying, oh man, here they come. And they're not going to get you. I mean, that wouldn't be an uncommon thing. He said, we're going to honor God. What he learned to do was encourage himself in the Lord. And uh, in the Lord. <laughs> By the way, he didn't encourage himself in the Lord after he won the battle. He encouraged himself for the Lord in the middle of the ashes of a burnt city with his closest followers saying they were going to kill him. I don't know about you all, but I really have not had that bad of a day in my life at any point. Flat tires and sick dogs don't count in comparison. I mean, really? That's pretty rough. And what he did when he was alone? You ready for this? The whole message, one sentence. What he did when he was alone was he found out he wasn't alone. That may have been one of the greatest, greatest things he ever got inside of him. Let me pray with you tonight. Father, thank you for your people. It's been a pleasure to sing, to hear singing, to take communion and think of you, to open your word and learn about it and think seriously about it. 
It's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you for who you are. For you'll bless your people. May our hearts, mine, theirs, may our hearts be tender towards you. And Lord, may we seek after you with a true heart and full assurance. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Why don't you come tonight? First note the invitation. Why don't you come? Why don't you ask the Lord to help you? Why don't you ask Him to help you? Why don't you ask Him to help you? Don't be so prideful you can't ask for help. Why don't you ask Him to help you? Mm-hmm.